0: for the persecutor.
1: Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we're in the studio this week with Floyd Brobell. Floyd is the CEO of our sister mission in Canada, VOM Canada. He is also the author of a book called Trouble on the Way. We will talk about that a little bit. Floyd, welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Todd. It's good to be here. It is always nice to have our friends from Canada come and visit us. Let's start first with the book. I know we mm-hmm. had a conversation when the book came out. Uh, But just give people a little picture of the book, maybe a little taste of what they'll find inside.
2: Yeah, so the book was primarily written for Western Christians. And as I met with Western Christians speaking in churches, a lot of the questioning centered around this thing called persecution. Is persecution something that only happens in in the countries we highlight in our magazines or talk about how does it happen to Christians living in the West, right? And often they would point to— 2 Timothy 3.12, uh, 3 12, right? All who
1: desire to live a godly life in Christ will endure persecution.
2: Will be persecuted, exactly. So they're trying to grapple with, well, I'm, I'm not, not being persecuted. persecuted yeah. right? And a lot of this thinking came uh, in my conversations with Glenn Penner, our late CEO. We had talked about this in the Bible. We see varying degrees of opposition where it started with ridicule. So we know converts that face that, right? I had a good friend. He ended up in a church, uh, gave his life to Christ, and now he's with his atheist friends. And they would just ridicule him and say, hey, we thought you were smart. Like, why would you fall to this stuff? And that actually challenged him it was one of his earlier challenges because he's being ridiculed by people who are his friends. And then, you know, it progresses to being discriminated against to harassment, all these type of things that we see biblically. Right. So the book really tries to answer that question for Christians in the West. Maybe we don't have a clear understanding of what persecution is from a biblical point of view what I try to do in the book then is as I uncover and talk about ridicule, how do we see that in the life of Christ? And he's the one that we follow. We're his disciple. So if he's experienced those things, then certainly we will or should be willing to experience those things for Christ. And,
1: And he said we would.
2: And persecution, we know, is not so much about the amount of Pain that is inflicted. The real goal of persecution is used by the enemy to silence the voice of the church. And sadly enough, in Canada at least, ridicule is enough to stop people from actually going out and evangelizing their neighbors. So it's effective. And I always say that hey, we may not face the level of persecution that someone in China or someone in North Korea, or Saudi Arabia, or Nigeria faces. But certainly, the lessons that Christians are learning there under that type of pressure, we can learn here and employ here. And and what are they continuing to do? Right, these are areas where the gospel continues to to be proclaimed, where the church continues to grow, and yet in Canada the church is in decline. So why is that? So I think people are trying to figure out what is the price I have to pay. And then now it's encouraging them to, hey, whatever it is, we need to be faithful and to pay it.
1: You're the CEO of VOM Canada. We're here at VOM USA. Maybe for our listeners, just help them understand how the two missions relate to each other. And because I don't know that we've ever really described right. <laughs> how that happens.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of a lot of Canadians think that that VOM we're all just one entity. And that the head office is in uh, here in Bartlesville uh, in the u s but more and more Canadians uh, in particular our supporters know that we are a separate organization, uh, that we are family of missions that we, we we join together through an association. Uh, where we hold to brand DNA, yep. best practices. Uh, um, we have a bylaws and and things that govern us, uh, but very autonomous to our own own country. So that gives us a lot of flexibility and freedom to implement projects in a country in the world to uh, reach our constituents in a different way, but then able to collaborate with each other on, on the good things that work. And you know, some some great ideas that happen in either in the UK or, or America in terms of outreach necessarily don't translate well in Canada. But for the most part, there are some really good mechanisms that we can use and partner with.
1: And I know we have listeners in Canada listening to the podcast. We have a couple of radio stations along the border that I know the signal goes across. So whenever we get folks from Canada that inquire, we send them up to VOM Canada. If you're in Canada, you can always connect with VOM Canada directly. Uh, But we appreciate the fellowship and appreciate the relationship as well. Floyd, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about your history in the mission and the fact that you were kind of born into the mission, almost literally, and and some of your growing up memories of Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. I know your role, before you were CEO, you were very much in an international ministry role. You were on the front line going to meet persecuted christians your travels a little different now kind of talk a little bit about that change and and may, maybe some frustrations with the change because i right. i always think that's the best part of our job is when we get to go sit down with persecuted christians and it's hard not to be able to do that as much as maybe you once did.
2: Absolutely. I think that was one of the harder transitions where now my international travel is, is going into more meetings. So we're part of a number of groups. Like we're, we're involved with the Religious Liberty Partnership. And so I represent VOM at those, those forums and try and really bring in the focus of, of what we do, um, persecuted church, how that fits within the bigger role of religious freedom advocacy
1: how are you received within those different groups when you say vom is not primarily an advocacy group we're not primarily about you know ringing the doors of congress and saying hey whatever this is what we do this is our lane are you, do people feel oh that's great or do they get kind of frustrated like hey why aren't you doing more or how how are you received in those circles
2: um, in the circles, I think it's it's uh, received quite well. I think uh, one of the strengths that VOM uh, brings to not only churches in our countries, but to organizations like that, is that we're a resource. And so often we can come alongside groups that, that are advocating for, you know, uh, religious freedom in Nigeria, but also to be a voice of, uh, I, I don't know if it's well received, but You know, a lot of people will point to, like in those groups, point to Article 18 of the UN Declaration, say everybody has a freedom of religion or belief, right? And so we find that a lot of people will focus on that first part. And certainly a lot of, like when you get into interreligious groups, religious leaders will all point to that. Oh yeah, we all believe that everybody has a right to choose what to believe and to practice their religion. But no, actually, not to practice their religion right. because when it comes, they'll they'll agree that you have the right to believe, but where do Christians run into the problem? When they practice their belief, right? When they witness when to they others. when they change, yeah. When they uh-huh. change, yeah. which are all in Article 18 as something that are fundamental human right, but no one talks about the persecution that happens when people convert, when they are are out there and evangelizing. They all hit that first part. So... I've been being a little bit more affront in those conversations to go. That's great that we believe the first part. What are we doing with this last part?
1: Floyd, I know recently you did get a chance to sit down with some persecuted Christians, and we talked about this is a a sacred thing and and really the best part of our jobs. Talk a little bit about the people you met and the stories you heard and and what's happening.
2: Actually, this happened by accident. I was just uh, going to Thailand to visit a potential partner, and he was talking about some work that he had been doing on the, the Burmese border with Thailand. He was talking about a pastor. Uh, he was a pastor in Burma for many years, um, living in a conflict zone. And so there's that the ethnical uh, uh, stuff that's going on or the tribal uh, issues that are happening. But he was also a, a Christian who had written or had, had started a teaching on what is the difference between uh, Christianity and Buddhism. And uh, as he taught that, he w- he was leading many people to the Lord. He was arrested because of his activities seven times. Uh, he shared a little bit about his torture. He said one of the things that they did was they had strapped him in a chair. And so he couldn't move. He couldn't move his head. And they just had this constant drip of water oh on his head, just constant drip of water. And and then he, he stopped. And then he said, and there were other tortures, but I can't tell you those. Those are too I just can't get into that. Wow. So that reminded me of our founder, Richard Wormbrandt, who in his book, Tortured for Christ, was talking about some of the tortures and said, I can't even talk to you about some of the other stuff. It's way too worse. And you're reading this stuff that you just talked about is terrible and there's worse. So it reminded me of, of Richard. And then he said at one point his wife was arrested with him. They spent three months in prison. And then she was released first, and then he eventually was released. When they let him go on the seventh time, they, they told him that if, if you're arrested again, you're not coming out. You're, you're dead, yeah. right? So he, he crossed the border, and there was a lot of conflict going on in his area. So he crossed the border, thought, okay, there's a lot of Burmese refugees over here. We'll set up a church. We'll pastor there in, in Thailand. It was interesting because as he was sharing a story and I and I was I was listening to his wife share what it was like for her with husband in prison is he going to come home I'm raising our kids right making ends meet sharing all that all that conflict I was thinking wow we almost have here a a kind of a modern day Richard and Sabina right they mm-hmm. both spent time in prison mm-hmm. they both suffered and so I was able to share with him that hey our mission was founded by a pastor who spent 14 years in prison, has a wife who spent about another, I think, three years Ten in years, a yeah. concentration camp. They ended up having to leave their country but started a ministry just like you guys are doing starting a ministry here. So it's interesting that they're reaching out to, to Burmese that are Buddhist. The, the ministry that, that I was meeting had started a school in the area for the kids. And while these kids are in the school, they're becoming Christian. So they're all going to this pastor's church. So this pastor has a church that's literally full of kids and teens. Wow. (laughs) The next step is to go to the parents. That's the work that they're doing.
1: How encouraged were they to hear about the Worm Brands and even just the fact that you were there and, and wanted to hear their story?
2: Yeah, they were they were greatly encouraged, and they just you know they said share our story, share our story to people because if it's going to help them, then uh, we're we're grateful to have our story our story told. And and then our our one partner was saying, oh well, maybe you shouldn't say their names, maybe you shouldn't use their photos, maybe you shouldn't. And and I said, well, we usually are pretty careful with that. We'll you know we'll cover that. But the pastor was like, no, don't worry about that. Don't worry about any of that.
1: Just tell the story and. So, <laughs> Did did they talk any about what sustained them through seven arrests and through torture and through the separation of the you know being separated by jail walls? Did what what carried them through?
2: God's word. They they constantly were in the word and in the midst of of difficulty. That's where they they turned to and they had key verses which I can't remember, but I have them written down. Um, but they, you know, especially especially the wife, she, she was telling me that there were key passages in Scripture that in the midst of her struggle and and fear, you know, will I see my husband again? Will he be home? Will we be able to provide for our kids? There were key verses in the Bible that just brought her a sense of peace and just, just an awareness of God's presence with her to say, I don't know the answers to these questions, but... You know, we're going to be okay. But I believe, yeah, But I believe, and pastor too. Um, he didn't have a Bible in, in his, uh, in his, in in jail with him. Uh, but the times that he was out um, preaching, uh, and uh, reaching the community, those those teachings and those thoughts and scriptures would come back to him, and that helped him endure, and it kept his focus on Jesus. And
1: wow, uh, yeah. Floyd, are there other countries that? You're seeing change, or or maybe Voice of the Martyrs Canada is involved in a different way than they have been in the past. What are some of the other parts of the world that that are on your radar?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, we work with our sister mission in uh, South Korea uh, with a lot of the activities that they're doing. Um, uh, personally, like VOM on its own, we have individual partners in India now. India is a country. Um, I'm not sure how many uh, Western Christians or even Westerners know the changes that are happening in India itself, but um, you, we, of course, know. We you re- just
1: had a visit from Prime Minister Modi here in yeah. the United States, so and and they didn't really say much about how much persecution has increased in his no. nine years in power there. So. No, he gets
2: he gets rock star status here, but uh, in Canada too. But um, yeah, the pressure on on Christians increasing. Uh, dramatically since uh since I was traveling there um as certainly you see more states uh with the anti conversion bills coming through uh there's a real push for um uh hinduism the the religious nationalist agenda of hinduism to to come through uh The really interesting thing is that we used to say that that islam was was the one religion that would be um, exporting their ideology uh to other countries either through terrorism or through their you know through their activities. We see that with Hinduism now in surrounding countries. When I was in Nepal this year, uh people were talking about the threat of, of Hinduism coming in. Interesting. Uh, this this Hindu nationalist I forget the 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 term for that, the Hindu Yeah, or Hindutva. Yeah, Hindutva. Yeah I think yeah. that's the way they say yeah. it. Yeah. And and that's that's what they were pointing to in Nepal, saying this is a threat to us. And so surrounding countries are picking up. So you're seeing something different where this is now being exported to, to other countries as well. How far will that go? I don't know. But I think predominantly what they would have viewed as, as maybe historic India, um, that's what they would be targeting. Yeah.
1: And that philosophy teaches this India is a Hindu country – If you're going to be here, you should be a Hindu. And if you're not a Hindu, you should leave or you should change. Um, Those are your options. Uh, I'm interested to know, Floyd, your take. I've been pondering this with the anti-conversion laws. It seems like they are coming to the point where they're being used very similarly to the blasphemy law in Pakistan. It's, It's not always about Evangelist, sometimes it's just you're settling a score, you're mad at someone, so you say, Hey, they tried to convert me, or Hey, I saw missionary activity. And just like in Pakistan, once that accusation is made, the person is arrested. It doesn't matter what the evidence is or isn't, or whatever, they get arrested. And sure, maybe they'll get out someday, and and the court will say, Yeah, they were innocent, but in the meantime, they're gone. If you want to take their house, if you want to, you know, whatever. Vengeance you want to wreak—they're gone. They—they they can't defend themselves anymore. Do you see that as well? Is—is is that a fair comparison? I,
2: I think it's fair. I think the 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 difference would be that with the blasphemy law, it's usually individually targeted. With with what's happening in India, it it can be individually targeted, but seems to be church targeted. So we see more churches being attacked. I know I've seen footage of of Christians meeting. And and uh, they're being outside. The walls of the church are being ripped down, while they're continuing to worship and pray. Uh, another group of uh, Christians worshiping, and uh, their service is inter- is is being interrupted because they are being charged to say, "Hey, these people are converting uh, us to Christianity." So the church is being attacked, Right. and they forced
1: us to come into yeah. their church building and exactly. hear the sermon. They're forcing us to convert.
2: Well, and that's funny because in Sri Lanka they had – they were trying to uh, bring in a a uh, uh, anti-conversion bill and an unethical conversion bill. So the anti-conversion bill, of course, you're not allowed to convert, right. right? The unethical conversion bill was anything that would coerce people to being – Christian. So, an example that was used at one point was if a church is is meeting and the doors are open and the windows are open, which it's a hot country so they're
1: open. They're always open.
2: And the music is playing and someone is walking down the street and goes, "Wow, that's really nice music. I think I'm going to walk into this building and listen to this music." So he walks into and takes a seat and is listening to this worship music. And then the music stops and he hears someone coming to speak and so oh, I'll listen to what he has to say. And at the end decides, hey, I think I want to become a Christian and, and moves forward to give his life to Christ. They would say, see, that was unethical. You lured that person in by the music. So what you are saying <laughs> that they forced us in is not a far stretch. That's oh. how they see it, right? Wow. That you're using these things to coerce us to bring us in.
1: It literally is laughable, and and some of the anti I know one of the states has an anti conversion law that says if you are going to tell your friend that they should become a Christian, you need to go to a magistrate six months before you have that conversation right. and register. Yes, I'm going to talk to Johnny about becoming a Christian in six months. Right. Which again, I mean, just like the music and the open windows, right. it's it's ludicrous. Yeah. But it's. It's, but it's, it's the law. It well, literally is so, the law. so
2: thankfully in Sri Lanka that didn't go through. Good. So that 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 that's been they've been talking about that for years. So that's never. But that was an an example that's been used. So I can see how someone in India would say, "Hey, they're trying to convert people. They're meeting together. Their worship service. Their whole agenda is geared to bringing out preaching this message and preaching the gospel." <laughs> which we say yes. Yes, right? it is. Um, and so they'll attack, right? And that's why they attack.
1: Floyd, as we finish up, we always equip people to pray. How do we pray for persecuted Christians? I think of India and Sri Lanka we mm. just talked about. How do we pray for people in India right now?
2: Yeah, I think we, we pray that uh, they would continue to feel the Lord's presence with them in the midst of their suffering. Uh, certainly that's what Wormbrand talked about when he was in his jail cell, that the Lord's presence was there, um, praying that um, that that they would continue to uh, be able to meet together. Uh, certainly, persecution is trying to uh, segregate the church and and stop Christians from meeting. But pray that they would find opportunities to meet together, because it's 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 in meeting together that that um, that we find strength, right, and that we find unity, that we find purpose. And so pray that they'd be able to do that, and and just pray for their persecutors that they would be able to. Uh, In the midst of of um, of of enduring persecution, that they would be able to demonstrate to their persecutors the love of Christ, and and that that message would would come through. Because certainly, I mean, we've we've written, you've written chapters on it and testimonies on it. How persecutors have seen the testimony. Uh, And and maybe it's not even anything that's said, but the way that Christians endure persecution that has been a testimony of Christ for them, and they have come to Christ. So we need to
1: be praying for them as well. Amen. Floyd Brobell, thanks for being our guest this week. It's always good to be here, Todd. Thank you.
0: Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.